Welcome to the Partner Running Show, a show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Partner Running Show is hosted by a couple on the run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Partner Running Show on the uh, on this 18th or 17th of August 2015, uh, no matter where you may be in the world. Uh, my name's Andrew O'Brien and I'm here in the Partner Running Studio with my lovely co-host Sue Higangsu. I'm going very well, thank you. Uh, last couple of weeks been tricky with travel and illness. business commitments and seminars and illness and all sorts mm. of things, so been a bit all over the place, but anyway, nice to be back in the studio this week and catching up on a few things. And... Um, some of those things which have sort of taken us away and on the road in the last few weeks is that interesting, I suppose it's like a, a pair of uh, city-based ultramarathons. And, of course, I'm talking about the Centennial Park uh, Ultra in Sydney, which was on the first weekend of August. And that was then followed up the, the next weekend by the Tan Ultra, uh, which is sort of like the cousin, uh, in Melbourne. And both of those had a 50 kilometres and 100 kilometres. We ran the 50 in Sydney, the 100 in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And of course, both also had marathons and the Tan Ultra had a couple of extras. So today we're going to do a little bit of a compare and contrast of those two events. And, and why you might consider doing one of those multi-lap yes, in fact, courses well, around. Well, I think that, you know, without beating around the bush, bottom line is you should do them both. Yes. Uh, they've both got lots to offer and are both great events. Uh, we A few weeks ago, we caught up with Brett Saxon and he talked about the Yu Yangs and he talked about... Uh, I think the Tan Ultra. Yes. Uh, well, we also at that time recorded a, uh, a bit of extra interview with him about a new exciting race coming up on the surf coast in uh, Victoria and Australia, and that, of course, is the Hell Run. Yes. As opposed to the Hill Run, the Hell Run. And so we're going to uh, play the, that part of that interview because we were sort of waiting until all, all was um, like a registrations are open and all that sort of stuff. So that now is all good good to go because it's only a couple of weeks away. So we're going to do that. And, uh, of course, ask Sue, catching up with the news, having a look at the road ahead. And depending on how we go for time, maybe have a look at a few odd other bits and pieces of questions and things. But we'll uh, just see how we go for time. All right. Anything else before we get on with the show? No, let's get on with some of the interesting little news snippets going on. Over the shoulder. A quick review of last weekend's running. Okay, so what have we got for the news this week, Sue? Well, this week's news is a little bit of a look at some of the stories that were making headlines and uh, discussion points over the last week or so, rather than actual results of races. Um, One of the interesting things that, or I found it interesting anyway, that over the last week or so, a lot of retrospective drug cheats have been um, outed, I suppose is the word. And one that really caught my eye dated back from 2007. So it's because samples are able to be held and stored for so long and technology methods have increased um, in their ability to detect drug cheats, the 2007 World champ, uh, world Champion for the 10K, um, oh, sorry, second place getter, Elvin Abeliazzi from Turkey has been stripped of her silver medal and that meant that she also will be stripped of her 2008 Olympic silver medal because for two years apparently after you've been discovered as a drug drug cheat then your results are held into question for the next two years. So that's got ramifications for the next two years on but Sort of in the same week, another Turkish runner, female runner again, was stripped of her gold medals from the 2012 Olympics. Um, And that then has implications. Everybody moves up the ranks. Um, This is this particular athlete's Ashley, Ashley Kahia, second violation. She'd been faced or she'd served two year ban as a junior. And at the same time, a more well-known runner, Lillian Shobuk, 
Gova um, had been has been stripped of her titles for London 2010 marathon, Chicago 2009, 2010, and 11 marathons as well. Now this is not just the implication of oh okay we're taking a title away from you, everyone moving up the ranks. This was at the time that the World Marathon Majors came into. Uh, into being, which meant serious prize money had been allocated to the winners of these particular events. Now, about averaging up all of her appearance money, her uh, winnings and her bonuses for breaking records, etc., etc., looking at over $500,000 US that the various bodies from the Chicago Marathon and London Marathon are trying to get back from her and are going to take her to court to try and get those monies back. Um, just amazing now. It's I don't know about you, but I'm starting to think now when people cross the line winning these events, are they seriously going to retain their titles? Is this something, do we celebrate their win on the day, but then take it with a grain of salt and think, oh, well, you know, six months, 12 months down the track, if it's disproven wrong, who remember, you know, who remembers that they won anyway, maybe. But, gee, it's just starting to call into question any result you see. I always like the, the, the best bit is that I always have a chuckle at is the people who came, particularly with regards to Olympics and World Championships, the person who came second, third or fourth who then get bumped up the list and now become the winner. And every single time, it seems, that the first thing they say is, oh, I, I knew they were cheating. You know, we, oh. all, we all knew they were cheating. It's kind of like, well, if, if anyone beats you, they must be cheating. So surely there must be someone in the race who wasn't cheating. Well, you hope so, <laughs> but it is starting to come into a little bit of question there. So that was sort of quite uh, quite sad, really, to see this happen because then we start to, to you know, doubt every result we see almost. Um, but also I think, it was, it, again, it may, maybe it's time for them to have another good look at what you can take and can't take and how the whole drug code is working because, you know, I mean, close to home with the whole Essendon schmozzle mm. uh, and then this is... This, is turning into a bit of a disaster as well. Uh, I don't know. Have we come a long yeah. way from the from the old days of the, you know, the the Russians and the Chinese sort of you know, women coming out looking after like taking in. their drugs and mm. you know looking like they're you know all of a sudden they're ready to play, you know, sent half back for Hawthorne or something. Um, that sort of anabolic steroid, yes, blatant, yes, they're huge different. advantage. Um, is it is it really such a, a thing now that the some of these things which enhance your recovery and and improve injuries should they actually be banned? Yeah, I mean, there's one there's this fine line of the recovery stuff hmm. um, and helping you train better as opposed to actually doing artificial things. Yes, so, yes. So they're sort of performance enhancing as opposed to body rebuilding. Yeah, well, somewhere between hmm. a natural supplement. And an artificial drug, maybe maybe that space is yeah. is uh, just sad. Worth looking at. Anyway, and coming I, into it with the Olympics next year, it just sort of does start to you know. And World Marathon majors coming up with um, Berlin and then Chicago and then New York, sort of coming up in the next few months. Just start to think, oh, here we go. You know, every result's going to be under question. I mean, when it's all said done, the only drug that's going to get me to the uh, front of the of a decent marathon would be, I think, a motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, now, some good news for the masses, uh, talking more about the general participation runners. Now, the Turkish governor has announced that he's going to be allowing the workers in his government department to arrive late for work if they are exercising. So the new start time for his area will be pushed back to 9.30 instead of 8.30, provided his employees have signed up with a trainer and a dietitian and uh, can therefore prove that they are exercising before work. Uh, because of the huge amount of obesity in his particular government department area. And our cure is sport is the name of the initiative to try and get rid of that huge amount of obesity in his area. Now, the other thing that uh, he's got 70 people signed up so, so far, so slow to take off, but hopefully he'll get a few more signing up. And across the other side of the world in Green Bay in the US, uh, 
in that government department as well. Flexible hours have been announced by the government for their workers who are training for the local half marathon. So some pleasing initiatives for uh, government workers in those two departments. I wonder, I wonder if they'd had also the incentive if you like you finished an hour earlier so you could go to your trainer, whether that would have a bigger impact. Rather than start an hour later. Yeah, I just I wonder if people who haven't been exercising and are, and are getting started, whether for you know at least half of them, maybe more that the the idea of working all day and then with your mates going straight from work to train for an hour might be more attractive as opposed to you know, getting up earlier or doing it at the start of the day. Mm. Interesting to see. Yeah, not sure. And again, you know, areas that you're talking about, what the climate's like. Yep. Um, one of those weird things you see that passes sometimes to do with running. A large family in Utah are trying to be the fastest US family over 5K. And uh, the Pachev family are trying to break the record. The previous record uh, was down to 18 minutes 50 seconds for a family of eight to try and complete 5K run. Now, their record at the moment as a family running is 20 minutes and 50 seconds. So they're trying to get their uh, get their time down to 18.50. Now, two interesting things about this particular family. One, they run wearing Crocs. And the reason that they run wearing Crocs is to save cost on shoes. So we've got a father and mother and six children. Now, the interesting thing with the Pacha family is as well is that they have three more children to draw upon if needed as they go to try and break this record. So, but the problem is that these three children are under six, so they've got to wait until they get a little bit uh, older to be able to cover the distance. The family has a very strict training regimen that each person has a particular time that they're set, an amount of distance that they cover, and they are seriously trying to have a crack at this record that's their aim for the 12-month period. So just quite an interesting uh, little tidbit there. I don't know about running in Crocs either, but I mean, I suppose if you've got to buy that many pairs of shoes for your family and rotate them around, Crocs might end up being the cheaper alternative. There you go. Mm. Uh, talk about... The opposite of cheaper alternatives, it was the Lululemon Seawees Half Marathon in Vancouver last weekend, and I suppose they would put it down to being the success of what they're all about, in that um, people were camping out overnight to be able to get into the special store to buy their their exclusive Lululemon Seawees run gear. Mm, I did see that. There you go. It's... uh, you can't, I suppose, claim that it's all about the the run. It's actually all about selling the gear. So there you go. Yes, I think there was something like 7,000 runners and uh, a huge yoga class were also out uh, out and about too, I believe, out in the middle of the plaza. Um, not trying to break a Guinness Book of Records or anything, but multiple, multiple hundreds participating in yoga class. Yes, it was interesting. Like, it was a race that sort of captured everyone's imagination when it started out, and now it seems to have sort of settled into a bit of a, well, it's actually about selling gear rather than the actual yeah, party true. of the event. Uh, I suppose you've had such a significant change in in the, the leadership over the last couple of years. So there you Maybe go. that's changed a little bit. Yes. So that's some of the running. As I said, it's a bit more about some of the stories crossing across rather than necessarily results of events. All right. On that note, or the last thing we should actually say on mm-hmm. on talking about news is uh, Andy Hewitt, who's the race director of Gow, um, and Bogon Hotham, and often the the medical director for a lot of the events we do with Trails Plus, uh, has just completed the Fat Dog One Twenty. Yes. In Canada. Oh wow! Sounds like it was mega tough. Andy was out mm. there for 40, 44 hours, hours two Ooh. two nights, but. Brought home the buckle, as they say. So, yes, again, one of these, um, oh, what's the word, iconic, I suppose, uh, ultra events that... Uh, Super you know. tough, I believe. You know, And added to that, I think the runners were uh, buffeted by hail and wind and rain and all sorts of yes. challenging weather conditions as well as uh, the actual terrain itself. Now, he, didn't, he didn't actually say what was harder between the fat dog and the hard rock. But he did suggest uh, in a little post that I saw go past that if you were 
wanting to do hard rock, then the, the fat dog would be great preparation. So uh, take that as you would. Yes, I saw someone say something about uh, another competitor with this fat dog event, say that the elevation was almost as high as uh, Everest or something that oh. they felt like they'd climbed, or that's what it was, or something to that effect. And uh, again, just so challenging, people taking on these massive challenges. Yep. But Okay, as they say, uh, on with the show. Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page? Take it away, Sue. Well, we are often asked about our travel to events, uh, how we cope with that travel to get to events, how we cope with the travel back from events, and discussion sometimes circulates about, oh, how do you feel? I always feel exhausted when I get off a long plane flight, and trying to run would be so hard, and how do you cope with, on the other side of the coin, getting on the flight, feeling so tired and then having to sit cramped up and get the other end and get on with life again. Well, how do we cope with uh, long, pl- long plane flights or, in fact, just lots of plane travel to get to and from our events? Well, Andrew and I are quite partial to wearing compression tights on long flights. So probably anything longer than an hour or so, you'll find us wearing our compression tights to try and improve circulation, to also be a little bit more comfortable potentially on the flight too. They're not uncomfortable to wear. But what is the research saying compression tights on flights? Um, In terms of the actual physical benefits for wearing compression tights, there are quite a few studies that suggest that really, we're not imagining it, there are physical impacts from long flight travel that can hamper your running ability. Now, a recent study took into account um, some 30 or so super fit soccer players that were tested for firstly mood after a long flight, and secondly, their 30 second sprint ability after that flight. Now, what the results showed was that their mood, like their physical um, happiness, sadness, um, ready for action, fatigue levels, their perceived mood dropped as as did their 30-second sprint ability for two days after a flight of three or more hours. And it was suggested that compression apparel would improve the blood circulation and actually help improve those two aspects of their performance, both their mood and their sprint ability. Um, It was more just to show that there was a drop through flight, flight travel that we should try and use any enhancements possible to try and improve those two factors. So nine different studies have shown that compression socks do help prevent blood clots and thrombosis. Compression, and it must be tight, and that's where a lot of uh, people think they're wearing compression clothing or compression socks or tights, but really they're not tight enough to prevent blood pooling from sitting on long flights. We should try and get up and walk around as much as we could, but wearing compression does enhance what's called venous blood flow in the lower body when you're sitting for long periods of time. And it does start to sort of cycle blood through the body, preventing ankle and foot swelling. And even compression socks rather than tights, if you feel a little bit strange about wearing tights on your flight, is going to actually give you physical benefit. Um, It might not be a huge amount of significant benefit, but hey, if it's going to improve your mood, if it's going to improve your your running ability the other end, if you're travelling for a run, why not? And also then, for two days after a flight over three for a flight, any flight over three hours, it's really worth considering any enhancement that you can. So yes, we wear compression tights on any flight that's longer than a, a, an hour or so, just to try and uh, remove any lingering problems from the flight if we can. And then 
on the return journey as well, if the flight is over two hours, if we're particularly if we are immediately after our run, we'll also try and wear the tights too, trying to disperse lactic acid, build up in the muscles and improve the metabolism of any sort of muscle waste matter. So how do we cope with long plane flights? Well, if you don't want to have stiff legs, creaky back and be really grumpy after your long plane flight, why not think about wearing compression tights as we do? That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue, please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at partnerrunning.com. Well, today we're going to do a bit of a review or a compare and contrast of uh, two events which we've done at the start of August. First of all, the Centennial Park Ultra in Sydney, put on by Keith Hong and Buzz Events. And then a week later in Melbourne, the Tan Ultra, put on by uh, Brett Saxon, Trails Plus and, and the gang down there. And it's the first, first time and first year that we've got to run both at both events at the same time. Doing, we ran the 50k in Sydney, and then the week after we ran the 100k in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So, so first of all, give us a bit of an overview uh, of the Centennial Park Ultra. It's the first, I think, it's the fifth running and the first time that Keith has been the race director, and it was a mighty fine day out. Oh, it was a look. It was a lovely day out, and running in Sydney in. August, which is winter, it, for us it was about 23, 24 degrees, which was just delightful, uh, fabulous weather up in Sydney, but a really, I suppose, uh, an interesting course and a, a very contrasting course in that it is a big park, it's a huge park, a lot of the running is on single track, so it's not so much a, a wide gravel path that sees a lot of uh, widespread runners spreading across across the terrain a lot of this course is actually single track and not sort of as free running perhaps as you might have if it were a wider path so a little bit more focus a little bit more concentration but you can look out across playing fields and there were people playing soccer the horses going past on horse track at the side as well uh, you've got a lake in the middle too that you see as you run around so constantly changing scenery and a little bit undulating. There were some uphills and around without being a hill as such, just more like undulating terrain and a great atmosphere. I think that one of the uh, big contrasts with Centennial Park Ultra and Tan is there are a lot of clubs that are out there doing the relay aspect of this particular event, which they had their little camps up with barbecues and picnic lunches and all sorts of things going on. But good run. Yes, good run, good good conditions, good atmosphere, and um, well organised. Indeed, very well organised. And in terms of, uh, again, the distance, always have to, like these parks are not measured and made for exactly 50k, exactly 100k. It's a little bit of a loop out to get started to make up the distance and then off you go around. And so 50k was 15 laps. Uh, three, 50k was 15. About 3.5k, 3.59 or something per mm. lap, so whatever that, that became. And, of course, Centennial Park, well, it took us about 15, maybe 20 minutes to run from our downtown hotel to Centennial Park. It's probably a similar distance from some of the um, you know, Bondi, Coogee-type area and uh, not too far from the airport. So it's kind of really, as we've, when we interviewed Keith a few weeks ago, great little location for flying in and out for the weekend and choosing where you stay. Yeah, definitely. Um, so excellent. And again, probably the the only uh, downside or the, the only thing to watch for is just the, the surface in part was a bit bit rocky. Yeah, it's the single track, routes, yeah. Um, something that, you know, I suppose if you thinking of running in a downtown park, you're not always expecting some of the rough surface. Clearly, you know, not as tough as most of the trails you're going to run on on the weekends uh, around the place, but it wasn't a pure, smooth surface. Yeah, I think there were a few people that had sort of had little stumbles, not injuries as such, but 
just there was a little bit of uh, falling over. And maybe that is coming from a road runner yep. back onto trail and you know, onto a trail that was a little a little bit focusing and whatever, but nothing serious. Land on grass, it's no biggie. And I think it really was just uh, maybe made you a touch slower and a little bit sorer than you otherwise might have been. But again, just all part of what was a wonderful event. Okay, oh, yeah. so so let's jump ahead a week um, from 50k in Sydney to uh, for us what was 100k as part of the Tan Ultra in Melbourne. Give us give us your take on the Tan Ultra. Well, so many people say to me that they love this event because it's a good running. Uh, well. Good running. You've got the Anderson Street, notorious Anderson Street Hill as part of the Tan Circuit where a lot of runners choose to use that as training for uphill work. But it, uh, in when you're doing a 100k, you might walk it as such. But a great loop course taking in a lot of the sights of Melbourne. And you do get to see the Yarra River, the Shrine of Remembrance. Uh, you, you take in the city vista as you go across. You can see Rod Laver Arena, the towers of the MCG. So it's look, it's a really pretty run to see Melbourne. And you do see a lot of different recreational walkers and joggers and the changing of the light as you go from early morning through to the lunchtime, into the afternoon, and then into early evening. On a look, a great running surface. Yeah, I think one of the things I kind of like about it is the 100K people go up first, and then every hour there's a different event. And so you kind of some, – some people you see them, and some people you don't. Uh, some people you might just see them if you, if you manage to go past the start while they're waiting, but you don't actually see them on the course. Uh, others you know, zoom past you or, or don't. So it's kind of mm. – there's a great – Great atmosphere there and, and so many wonderful things happening. Oh, look, yes. And I, I think the other thing that is great for people that are doing ultras, and this goes for both the Centennial Park and the TAN, that with that one aid station at sort of roughly, well, your three, 4K lap, whatever it is, it removes the needs to carry hydration packs, stacks of equipment and food and changes of clothing and stuff. So if you are thinking of trying to boost your distance in a race environment, these sort of courses are just fabulous for that. Yep. And, of course, the TAN located very close to the central business district and just basically you can see the, uh, the MCG uh, across the road. So it's, it's, it's a bit like Centennial Park in Sydney but probably even closer into the city. Very well um, located for a fly-in, fly-out kind of weekend. So, you know, often you can fly in and fly out to the big cities for their marathons. Uh, without needing cars and all sorts mm. of things, but not so much for the ultras. But but both of these races are just really set up, whether it's the 50 or the 100, you can fly in, take a bus or a train easily and probably quicker into the city, stay in a city hotel, lots of city restaurants, shops, places to hang out and hydrate. And, and then you just, it's a you know, short trip across to do the races so excellent and one of the other things i suppose is if you are a local or if you're a traveler with a car there's lots of parking close to the start of these events which if you are unloading gear like setting up a little mini tent that sort of thing it's so easy to do yes and and quite surprisingly too i'm just it's probably just uh putting a jinx on it just a matter of time but um you can park for free around the tan on a sunday so you don't have to go feeding meters or worrying about that, which any other day of the week, or certainly during the week weekdays, Saturday might be free as well. But during the week, you know, you've got to be worried about meters and time yeah. and, and all that sort of stuff. Well, I remembered one of the races we did a cystic fibrosis run where we did have to sort of watch our meter yes. droppages on our laps. Oh, could, could we should we put some more coins in this time or yep. next time around? So it removes that. Uh, that problem too. Now, of course, can't, can't let the occasion go by without mentioning one of the highlights of the Tan Ultra, and that is that you go past, for the 100, 26 times past the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne, and I think it was about lap five, we went past, and lo and behold, we discovered the uh, the Batcave entrance, or the as somebody suggested, it was more like the uh, Tracy Island from the Thunderbirds, is actually what... Every other time you go past, it looks just like a big wall of grass at the base of the shrine actually is a secret garage door. So I was quite excited about that. <laughs> and uh, it did help pass the time as uh, everyone ran, ran around with for the rest of the day. I was able to say, can you see that bit of grass over there? Do you notice the link? That's actually a secret passageway to the Batcave. So it filled in the time and something, having lived in Melbourne for 51 years, never knew there was a secret 
under passage to the shrine. So. And talking about people running with us, uh, that is one of the beauties of these multi-lap events. If you've got some friends that don't want or don't feel that they're able to do the 50k or whatever event it is, and with the Tan Ultra there are shorter events, you can get some friends to come and run a couple of laps with you and they get their run. You have some company for a couple of laps and it works well for yep. the participants so you can get sort of like a support crew out running with you for a while which was lots of fun very many thanks to our friends that came out to run with us so well done to uh, keith hong and his team for the centennial park ultra in sydney and to brett saxon and his team for the melbourne event now both events draw predominantly on locals so the sydney people mm-hmm. run uh, centennial park the melbourne people run the tan but there were some internationals and some you know melbourne's in sydney and sydney's in melbourne vice versa and then there was the odd uh, Brisbane and Adelaide people. I don't think I saw any, any Perths or Hobarts that I became aware of, but, but people, it's a good one to move around. And I think for over the next couple of years, if you're looking to do a, a city t- um, trail 50 or 100, or even two in the one year, um, there's a bit of a challenge of doing the back-to-backs. But, but certainly over the next couple of years, I'd encourage people to, to do... Doesn't matter which order, Centennial Park Ultra in Sydney and the Tan Ultra in Melbourne, both very well organised and, and great days out. And the size of the lap is such that I think it's um, it's a good way to uh, run a good time, practice your uh, strategy, practice your hydration, all that sort of stuff. And you, know, you don't need to carry a, a pack or a lot of gear or worry about if the weather's going to change because you're only, you know, at the most, you know, at certain times of the race, probably 10, 15, 20 minutes away from your year. Yeah, so if you're getting cold, you know that you can put on a jacket, etc. take one off. Okay, on with the show. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by partnerrunning.com and The Partner Runner magazine. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed uh, Brett Saxon from Trails Plus, and he talked to us about the Yuyangs. Um, the Tan Ultra. The Yuyangs, oh, sorry, the Yuyangs and the Tan Ultra, which, of course, are now been run and won, as the saying goes. And um, the, the next event up, coming up on the Trails Plus uh, agenda is a new one. And again, it's down on the surf coast, which in the last couple of years has really, you know, become a bit of a running mecca first of all with the surf coast century uh and then now the surf coast trail marathon sort of joining in there with the the uh, great ocean walk which was kind of was the original and and you know one of australia's best uh, uh, 100ks but now we've got a, another edition and of course it's it's kind of it's in that missing piece of the coast so if you wanted to sort of you know, cover from torquay down to uh Past Apollo Bay to to Port Campbell. Campbell. Mm. Uh, Lawn was kind of the the bit of the coast which didn't have something. And so now we have coming up the Surf Coast Hell Run. So we we caught up with uh, Brett a few weeks ago and sort of recorded the interview to to put to air when registrations were open, which they are now open. And so Brett talks to us about, first of all, the Hell Run, and then a little bit about some of the events, particularly the New Year's Eve event coming up. So... On, without any further ado, let's play the interview. Yes. And this is the next one. It's the one that I'm intrigued with because I'm really interested to find out a little bit more about the course and uh, a little bit more about the actual event itself. Well, and I think I'm everybody talking, is because it's a new yeah, event. It's a new event. It's a new event and it's called the Surf Coast Hell Run and I hope it's not really called a hell run because it's that tough. <laughs> no, it's a typo. It's a hill run. Oh, a hill run. Oh, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> or a hall run that would be that would be interesting too but i think it might have uh, something to do with the terrain so what can you tell us Brett? well so yes um it's definitely not a typo it is the surf coast hell run mm. and uh, mm. look I'll, we'll do, talk about the name to start with and um the the name really comes from the fact that it is seriously hard for half of the loop because your quads are going to burn like hell. The first, it's, a, it's a loop course, so we have a 21K, a 42, and a 63. Um, it's, it's out the back of Lawn on the Great Ocean Road in Victoria. It's in September. It's Father's Day weekend, so it's actually a Saturday run. So this is fairly important for regular Trails Plus 
people to take note of um, because all other events are generally on a Sunday. Uh, this one will be on a Saturday, Saturday the 5th of September. But, but the course is out the back of lawn. It's um, based at the She Oaks picnic ground and it's pretty much an oval-shaped course if you look down on it. The first 10 or so kilometres is uphill. You then come back down the other side and that is all downhill. <laughs> so your, your legs are going to be seriously burning, if not on your first loop down, on, on your second loop. And for those brave enough to take it on three times, um, yeah, it'll be hell. Oh, joy. <laughs> so well, where, did the, uh, where did the idea come from for this one, Brett? Yeah. It sounds pretty exciting. Uh, look, a, a good friend of mine and yours, um, Andy Hewitt, he regularly trains down in this area and it's been on his list of favourite places to put an event on for some time. And between the two of us, we, we got together, did some training sessions down there and finally got it. Um, up and going so in some respects it kind of started out as Andy's baby um, and it's it's in an area that um, gave him a lot of base training for several of the hard rock runs that he has done over in America um, it's just an area that allows constant climbing and constant descending which some of those the, the big events like the Hard Rock 100 um yeah, have and and you need to find somewhere that's got some some long ascents and descents and and this is one that that Andy um, discovered and um, yeah we've now created an event from it and you know we, we think it's uh, it's a simple concept but an incredibly challenging course. One of the things that uh, was sort of a feature of the two other runs we've talked about, the Yuyangs and the, the, well, the Tan definitely and the Yuyangs in some aspects, that there are events within it that you don't need any special equipment or anything like that. But this one, I'm guessing with the 21K, you do need to carry um, any sort of special equipment with you? Look, it's, uh, it will have a very mild mandatory um, gear, the, it'll be pretty much based around your hydration and nutrition needs. Um, the common sense uh, rainproof jacket, depending on the day, that will be called um, in the days in the lead up based on weather conditions. But given that the aid stations will be 10 kilometres apart, uh, it, it will require that you carry at minimum um, handheld or uh, a hydration pack. Right, there you go. So, Brett, for uh, for many people, lawn is um, a place which is going to stay overnight, uh, either before, after, or both. Um, what's uh, what's available, and what sort of suggestions do you have for people in terms of heading down there, and how far from Melbourne, where might they stay, etc.? Look, there there are several accommodation options, and we're still working with a couple of potential partners to tie in with registrations and, and entries to um, have both a, a pre-race briefing and dinner, which is more of a social gathering than an official briefing because the official briefing will still take place on race morning. Um, but you've got places like the Cumberland Resort, the Lawn Hotel. Uh, there are several B&Bs. There's caravan parks um, and cabins. And a lot of that information will go up on the web very soon. We are still working with some of those people to finalise some of that information. So, yeah, it's it's an ideal weekend opportunity for those who want to celebrate Father's Day with Dad, if Dad's the runner and the kids want to come along. But it also is an opportunity for Dad to come down and run and get home with the family um, and so there's a couple of options across the weekend, but yeah, we'll certainly be having a, a, a pre-race and we're also looking at a, a possible Saturday evening get-together after the event as well for those that do make a weekend of it. And a lot of that information will go up on the website shortly. So that sounds great. And I mean, even if it is just the uh, the 
low-key get-together at, at one of the local pubs or restaurants. It's going to be a, a nice way to talk through the first uh, Surf Coast Hill Run. Yeah, Hill Run. <laughs> no, I'm still calling it the Hall Run. I like the idea of running down the hall. Um, uh, now, so just in terms of time and, and distance from Melbourne, what's, what's sort of, what should people allow to get down to Lawn? Yeah, look, from, from Melbourne, there's sort of two ways that you can get there. You can head through Geelong, uh, Anglesey, and on to Lawn. And, and that's a comfortable two-and-a-half-hour trip from, from Melbourne. Uh, you can also go in the back way over the hills, um, so through Geelong but not to Anglesey. Uh, you go through Winchelsea, um, Deans Marsh, and, and into Lawn over the back way. Um, and that's similar time, just a, a little easier driving, not quite as, as windy. And, um, but the Great Ocean Road is a great road to drive on, so... I would certainly encourage those people to find an extra half hour and and head down via Anglesey and enjoy the Great Ocean Road. Magnificent. Um, and so in terms of when entries might be available or open for that one, uh, what, are we, what are we sort of expecting, another week or two, three? I think uh, we're probably realistically three weeks away with that one. Yep. There's just a couple of things that need to be put in place. Um, we could open now, but it means we'll be disjointed with connecting um, up with the, the dinner arrangements and accommodation. We're trying to tie it all together, and um, once those things are, are fixed and in place, they'll all become part of the entry process and available as options. Okay, so early July, early to mid-July is, is the time. Just keep watching there on trailsplus.com but also uh, if you go to Facebook um, and a lot of people are on Facebook there is a, a Facebook page for the Surf Coast Hell Run so that's pretty easy to mm. find it's got uh, Surf Coast as one word then Hell uh, still with the H-E-L-L spelling there and Run to get get onto that one yeah and some great uh, merchandise again some yes. t-shirts and, and for those people that do like to check out the bling first to know what they're running for some very cute medals to check out too. yeah so there's a very, a very snazzy 21, 42 and 60 63, uh, I think one side of the middle with the uh, the Hell Run logo and the, the little kangaroo on his surfboard with his pitchfork there. Um, I think some of our Malaysian and Singaporean friends would be very interested in seeing those medals. Yes. I think they would find them, yes, there could be a lure. Could be the way to go. Them. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's the Hell Run. Anything else that we haven't talked about on the Hell Run we should talk about? Well, start time. Is it... Um Early? Do we know yet whether it's going to be uh, early? No, the, the start time hasn't been set, but it will be based around a, a 7.30, 8 o'clock start for the 63K. Um, it's still not daylight saving, so it'll be at first runnable light that, that they take off. Okay. And uh, the cutoff, will there be a cutoff? I suppose it will be. Of course it will be. What, what will the cutoff be? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Scratching your head. Wow, oh, this is, is a good question. It's actually mm. under review because a couple of recent training sessions suggested that we were being a little bit too harsh. Mm. So at, at this stage, we think we're probably looking somewhere around 10 hours for the cutoff, but it might be a little bit too tight. So we've got to work it within hopefully daylight hours. Um, if we can, you know, Maybe start half an hour earlier in because it is a fairly uh, runnable, well, runnable, walkable um, trail um, from a technical uh, perspective underfoot. So yeah, hopefully we, um, yeah, we we don't want to go creating too difficult a cut off first up. Yeah, no, good idea. Sounds good. Yep, so I put my hand up for that too. I prefer, prefer a generous cut-off. You're the guinea pig, Sue. <laughs> well, we might get down for a training run, Sue and Andrew, and you can actually, yeah, set the benchmark. Oh, yes, for the for the pedestrian finish. <laughs> Being able to make it, that would be the – definitely. All right, so that's mm. the Hell Run, which is uh, a great addition to the uh, Victorian and Australian running calendar for 2015, coming up mm. there at the uh, start of September. Uh, it's a nice little – you know, the Yu Yangs, Tan, Surf Coast Hill Run. Yep. You've taken care of the next three months. For, beautiful, for beautiful uh, yes. A couple of different challenges there that you can link together for if you're doing something longer or later in the year, or just three runs that stand, stand alone. So then uh, that's not it, of course, for the year. Brett, Trails Plus, you've got a number of things beyond that. So we might just quickly just give us a, a rundown as to 
once you get through the uh, Surf Coast Hell Run, what's on for the rest of the year and uh, and sort of because of, I know you've got one that sort of finishes the year and starts the year, um, the the rest of 15 and early 16. Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. Um, we actually go into our night series of running after the Hell Run. Uh, we start off in October with the Halloween Howler. Uh, these are all based in the Yuyangs Regional Park on three separate courses so there's there's a variety um, of courses we start with the Halloween Howler um, on Saturday October 31st then we do the New Year's Eve midnight um, well rock around the clock sorry the New Year's Eve rock around the clock which I'm uh, last year was the inaugural event for this and you guys uh, were part of that yes and yeah, um, and and then we go into the um, Australia Day event in 2016. Um, so they're they're all nighttime runs with several options available from 5k, half marathon, marathon, back to back marathon, um, six hour and three hour enduros. Um, so yeah, it's a really designed around having. Or giving people the ability to experience nighttime running for when they do choose to take on some of the 100k, 100 mile type events. Um, Magnificent. Yeah. I, th- I think the one that, you know, they're all great events, but for people to, to start thinking now about the New Year's Eve one, because it is a, quite a, a spectacular way to uh, spend your New Year's Eve, and I know a lot, of, a lot of people sort of always looking for things, th- something different to do, something exciting to do on New Year's Eve, and, and whether or not you, you know, run the, the 6 o'clock and the midnight marathon or you, you do the enduro or you just do the 10K and, and then hang around for a drink. Or, I know some people last year did one of the early events and headed off to their other parties and celebrations, but that put that one in your diary now as a spectacular evening. Great to hear that it's going ahead again for the second year. Yeah, and, and of course, we do wind up um, the year with the Marysville Marathon. Ah, yes. Uh, in, uh, on Sunday, November the 8th. Uh, that's a, a very special event for those who perhaps aren't aware. It's um, it's commemorating and supporting um, the Marysville region from the Black Saturday fires. Um, it's it's a huge event in the scheme of supporting the town. We get over a thousand runners, uh, over a hundred volunteers, and it, it brings a lot of money into the town to support the businesses and help rebuild the town. But and offer huge support to the people in the town, which is a, a crucial part of um, what the event's about. Yeah, and through some spectacular scenery as well. If um, you haven't been up to that part of the world and taken some of the walking trails or the areas around Marysville, it is a lovely place to go and just enjoy the scenery too. Yeah, and it, it's very, very diverse with its trails. We've got wide open backcountry roads along fresh mountain streams to single technical tracks, some fairly serious climbing involved. It is, uh, for a marathon-based event, um, it's one of the tougher marathons around that people do. And a lot of feedback from last year's newly designed course, um, people have come back and and said, I hope you're keeping the same course. (laughs) So that's that's exciting for me, not necessarily for some some road-running marathoners, but... um, But again, if you know that that's what you are in for and you've got the shoes and you're ready to go and you're prepared, then that shouldn't be a problem for any runner. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, so thanks very much, Brent, for giving us uh, the run-through on the uh, the Yuyangs, the Tan, the Surf Coast Hell Run, and then the rest of the Trails Plus events. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. Well, Sue, the, uh, the Hell Run sounds pretty exciting and nice timing for us, I suppose, just looking to do a, uh, something kind of hilly and, and tough with lots of climbing uh, as we sort of, it'll be our last real big training run before heading off to the ultra trail mount oh, fuji 168 mm. kilometers and eight and a half thousand of or whatever it ends up being of 
climbing. So, yes, look yes. forward to the hill run. So the hill run, as, it's, <laughs> as we've been nicknaming it, is actually very good from our perspective for training. Uh, now, just before we uh, finish off the show and have a look at next weekend's running, just a couple of, I suppose, little bits and pieces around questions and, and things which keep coming up. And one of the questions that I uh, sort of somebody asked the other day and then sort of get asked, it is a popular one, is you know, from a, a kind of a newish runner, uh, but it also applies when you're going up a distance. And, and the question is, when does running get easier? Mm. So for somebody who's just starting out, does it get easier? And if so, when and how? What's your thoughts? Well, a, a lot of different habits are described as uh, once you get to 21 days, uh, three weeks roughly of, of being a runner, maybe being a new runner, perhaps that's the time that it does get easier when your body and your muscles get a little bit accustomed and accommodated to the demands that you're putting on them. Yeah, I reckon there's, um, depending on who's asking the question, there are tiers of getting easier. So there's that very first starting out when you probably have a tendency to go faster than your fitness uh, or you don't have the right gear or you're doing it too much. You're just making all those little adjusting mistakes. And so I, I reckon there's that phase where once you get up to being able to run comfortably for about 30 minutes, you can sort of tick the box and say, well, it's moved to a form of easier. Uh, but then I think with all of these things, and running is a great metaphor for this, the more you do, the more you can do. Uh, the further you go, the further you realise you can go. And the more you push, the the more you can push even further. And so going from zero to a, to being able to cruise 30 minutes often then means that you might then be into a training program or for an event. And so you might then be introducing speed work or those kinds of things, which again, all of a sudden it's like, well, when's this going to get easier? I'm starting to, d- to go further or do speed work. And again, I suppose this is where your expertise particularly comes in around adaption from training and that you build up over time. And so it seems a lot of a lot of these programs, 12 to 16 weeks, kind of takes you through a phase where easier might not be the word, but less, more comfortable. Stressful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> less stressful, yeah. perhaps. Yes. And uh, I think those some of those beginner mistakes that that can often stop a runner from or a person trying to to start running becoming a runner um, those little overwhelming discomforts cause them to stop before they get to that comfortable period so they give up in the first few weeks saying this is this is too hard it's not getting any easier when really they need to stick at it for at least three weeks um, of sort of pretty steady work before they should make that call Okay, and I think that the third tier for me of the getting easier is then you know whatever your distance might be. So let's say you, you yeah, I'm going to be a regular ten k person, or I'm going to be a regular half marathon person, or I'm going to be even a regular marathoner, uh, and it goes on up to to ultras. Is that the first few times you do one of these events, then you know, you're discovering, you're learning, your body is adapting, and so. Then after after you're doing some regular ones, it can start to get easier in the set, sense that you know you can run the same time with with you know, less wear and tear or less less soreness. Uh, but what tends to happen is you know try to push a bit harder, or we take on more difficult courses, or we up it. So we're kind of always, or not always, but we're often pushing ourselves into making it harder because we're getting better at it and we're trying to, to push our limits. So. Mm. And that can be for experienced runners too, that you know you start off doing one loop of a hilly course and that's a struggle. Yep. And then after a few weeks, that one loop is not such a struggle and that's just an adaptation process that our bodies and our minds go through. Yep. I think the last thing I want to say on this one is if, if, you, if you're still fine, if you've been running for a while and trying different things and, and it's like when's it going to get easier is still an issue for you, then what you probably want to do is find your – your easy run. Um, if it's if you're finding it's always really hard, then it probably means you're running too fast or you're running on the wrong sort of surfaces or terrain. So it's good to have at least one run a week where you go, you know, that just felt great. That was my cruisy run and I know I could go faster, but today I was just out there you know, soaking up the atmosphere, enjoying it, and it was just a good, solid run of not pushing too hard. You don't have to push as fast as you can every single time. 
No, and that does create that endorphin feel-good feeling that brings us back to running when it does get hard. Now, another one that I just want to ask you about quickly uh, before we do finish the show is uh, the old chestnut. We haven't touched on it for a little while. Is Should I run every day? It's one of my pet mm. topics. Um, I think we all run across from time to time those people known as streakers or the people who run every day or insist on, you know, I ran 10K the day after I ran my marathon, aren't I, aren't I wonderful? Um, what's your take on running every day? Well, a little bit with the adaptation process from becoming a, a runner, you've got to give your body time to recover from the workouts and the strains and stresses that you're putting upon it. And if you don't allow that recovery time, then you're setting yourself for up for injury, whether that's a traumatic injury because your muscles haven't recovered or an overuse injury in the joint area. So, you know, even experienced runners that are running quite a high mileage should put in a cross-training day or a rest day or a recovery day. Um, And if you're a beginner runner all the way down the, the scale, then taking every second day off running is just going to give your body that chance to recover um, little micro injuries, little muscle tears, things that aren't quite right um, and allow you to actually enjoy your running rather than get it becoming a chore or a daily chore. I think, again, this question of should I run every day is another great example of why when it comes to running, you know, unless we're trying to be in the Olympics, then comparing ourselves with other people is fraught with danger and it really is a personal thing. So just as, as we would often say, look, you know, most of us shouldn't run every day because we're going to to get injured and and uh, cause grief. Then there are some people who can run every day, so it's mm. not a a hundred percent yes I should or no I should not. But again, I think the general guideline is for most of us as we're building up and getting into it. Uh, certainly, having those rest days is important, and even for the you know, experienced people who've done a lot of running and and, uh, done it over many years, there are great benefits of having rest days. Yes, and I think that we've talked about the physical, but I think there is the mental aspect as well of burnout, of the running losing its its appeal to go out and do and uh, and not enjoying it, um, which those people that really love their running, it's such such a contrast those that consider it a chore. And then the last thing I just want to talk about before we do go on and uh, have a look at the road ahead is, uh, again, it is one of the, the old chestnuts, so much, not so much in terms of a question, but in terms of the statement that you know, so many people, particularly non-runners, would look at you and say, oh, you know, you know you shouldn't be running because it'll destroy your knees. And I just, it caught my eye, it went past when I was sort of prepping for the show. There was an article in um, the South African version of runner's world just on this specific topic and again they re-emphasize having looked at the research and everything and i'll read the statement there is no evidence that regular running damages knees good so again that running per se is not the problem but what they do they say though is that other factors can uh, contribute you need to be aware of those but there are a couple of things that they did say in this article uh, that, that's really stand out. First of all, that runners don't get arthritis in their knees any more than non-runners. So again, I think that's one of the fears that you know, you're going to hurt your knees or you're going to end up with arthritis. Well, you may, but you probably would have anyway. Mm-hmm. So running is not the thing which which adds to that. Um, the, ne- the next one that often people see various supplements and think that they're going to actually regrow the cartilage in the knee. Uh, and again, that's not what happens? Um, dietary supplements. You like the glucosamine and those ones that were very popular, shark cartilage and other stuff like that. Yes. Um, so I think what the, the, the argument be that maybe what they do is they help to, to lubricate the knee, but they don't actually grow the, uh, the cartilage back, so you can't sort of get it back. Um, runner's knee, again, if people have it, it's a real thing. But what they, what they suggest here is that it, it's often is is uh, caused by weaknesses in other places. So you know, it could be uh, not enough strength in your glutes, uh, weak hips, uh, in, instability, you know, in the hamstrings, down tight, tightness and those kinds of yep. things. So, so runner's knee, per se, more often than not, can actually be a symptom of other things that are wrong rather mm. than runner's knee per per, per se. So they're suggesting that uh, with a bit of, uh, I suppose, weight 
strengthening type work and flexibility that you can reduce the chances of runner's of knee. creating mm. those kinds of things. So uh, it, it is quite debilitating runner's knee. But again, as someone who experienced it for all, a little while, a long time ago, um, once it was sort of dealt with by those strengthening and it moved on, then it did move on. And back to our beginners again, often one of the areas that they do complain about is sore knees and is just as a symptom of weaker muscle groups, tightness of other areas, not my knees are bad, I can't run. Yep. All right, well, on that note, we better keep on moving along and get on to our next segment on the Putt Running Show. The Road Ahead. Join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events. Okay, so Sue, what have we got uh, coming up for runners this weekend? Well, I'm going to start off a little bit further from home and finish close to home. Further from home, we've got the Silvretta Vervol in Austria, the North Country Trail in the USA, De Montcalm in France, Mesa Falls in Idaho, Muritzlauf in Germany, Reykjavik Marathon in Iceland, Silverton Alpine in the USA, Wasau also in the US, Donegal in Ireland, Edmonton in Canada, Hansruck in Germany, Le Belair in France, De Nouvelle-Caledonie, which would be nice, New Caledonia, De La Artois in France, Run the Rock, Texada Island in Canada, Santa Rosa in California, Bremerhaven in Germany, and Tri-Dunkirk in New York. But closer to home, we've got the Five Bridges Marathon in New Zealand, and then three in Australia. The first one, Adelaide Marathon, which we have run before in the past, but maybe not on the new course, Mudgee Marathon in New South Wales, and Cape Palarinda Trail Marathon just out of Townsville. So they are three. Now, I suppose there's another event coming up on the road ahead that we are running this weekend, which is not a marathon, but is an event we are running, which is the Coranda to Port Douglas. And we are running the 64-kilometre trail event up there um, next weekend on Sunday. Which will be magnificent. Which will. All right. On that note, thank you for tuning in to another part of the running show. Once again, uh, any uh, questions or suggestions, uh, either for topics or people to interview, love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week on the part of the running show. Thanks, Sue. Thank you. And uh, a big thanks to uh, Brett and best of luck for the hell run or the hill run. As <laughs> yes, we like to call the it. hill run. Look forward to it. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by partnerrunning.com and The Partner Runner magazine.